The world's most advanced color correction tool for Mac just got more powerful. DaVinci Resolve 8 from Blackmagic Design. With XML import, export, multi-layer timelines, curve grading, noise reduction, stabilization, 3D alignment, OpenCL, and more. DaVinci Resolve 8 is available from $995. Current users can download the update for free. And try DaVinci Resolve Lite, a reduced featured version that's still packed with power. Visit www.blackmagic.com dash design.com what in addition to the right equipment does it take for the job of film editing welcome to the cutting room i'm your host gordon burkell and in this episode we're gonna have sort of a bit of a diversion we're gonna be playing an excerpt from a live event that the canadian cinema editors held with the emmy award-winning editor Don Cassidy, and the focus is on the Hatfields and McCoys miniseries that just aired this past summer, which was a huge hit. So, we're going to have a small segment from that. Also, if in November you're going to be growing a mustache for Movember, make sure to join the editor's team that we've started on the Movember site. Go to Movember.com and search AOTG, and you should find us. Then you can grow a mustache, the top person wins a shirt, and the top five people get to choose how I'm going to shave my beard that I'm growing into a mustache at the end of the month. So that'll that'll be something to check out. Now, if you enjoy this, this show, then you'll also love that post show. Make sure to rate us both and go to iTunes, search for that post show, or search for The Cutting Room, and then just sign up and listen. If you're enjoying this show or that post show, make sure to rate us on iTunes. But in the meantime... Enjoy Paul Day and Don Cassidy discussing Hatfields and McCoy. While you're setting up and settling in, the scene that we just looked at right now, um, it was one of four that you chose to show tonight. Um, I'm going to dive right in without asking you all the standard sort of why did you become an editor. And I just want you to talk about that scene, um, not only from a dramatic point of view, but just sort of from the coverage and what you had to go for, go with. And uh, I'm just going to dive right in. Um, Is this working? <laughs> I feel like singing a song. Um, I actually picked that scene um, because throughout the, the whole project, uh, I was finding myself and the producer, we were finding ourselves picking sides. Um, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, from Costner who played Hatfield, he was actually quite, he was the nasty one. And for some reason we kept trying to protect him. So we, we kept adjusting, making cuts, and, and, and it, it actually made him look like the good guy. And uh, we were, uh, one of the reasons we were doing that, we were trying to hit a two-hour slot. And our, our film was about 70 minutes over what we were allowed over the whole cut. So when it was actually sent to Costner, who's a producer, he actually phoned us and going, what are you doing? Where's all this stuff? I look like a milk toast here. So that's, that's one of the reasons I picked that particular scene. This scene that we just looked at, is it, what night is it from? So it's a three-part miniseries. Each night was two hours, two hours long? Um, the first evening was 100 and I can only talk in minutes because that's how we, we had to deal with it. The first night was 104 minutes. I believe the second night was 96, and the last night we made our two-hour slot, which is eight, 87 minutes. So in total, what was the running length from beginning to end? Do I have to add that up? Uh, <laughs> somebody wins a prize if you do. Who's really that. quick? Basically, you basically, what you cut in the span that you did is the equivalent to three feature films. Okay, 
I'm um, sorry for the one-word answer. Yeah. Now you were speaking about Kevin Costner, but let's speak. Uh, uh, let's speak about Kevin Reynolds, who is the director of the miniseries. Yes. Now, if people don't know who Kevin Reynolds is, he's he's got a quite a pedigree of of writing and directing. He did direct Waterworld and and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which is the Kevin Costner vehicle, and I think he's also wrote uh, Red Dawn. Was the original Red Dawn writer? Yes, and he directed Fandango, which I would like to mention. That's a great film. Yes. Yeah. But tell me uh, a little bit about your relationship, and maybe I'll preface that by saying you guys never sat in the same room together. I have never met Kevin Reynolds face to face, other than um, we we talked on Skype. Um. I'll go back, I'll explain why. When I was called about the project, uh, one of, one of the, the uh, stipulations is, are you willing to travel to Romania? Sure. And then when I found out who was in it and all this, I was quite excited. So I was supposed to go down about four weeks after they started principal shooting. Um, they kept changing the date, kept changing the date, and then they changed the deal, and I said, no, you don't have to come. So in, in retrospect, actually, it gave me more time. I would have lost weeks traveling. And when, and when they finished shooting, I was, it was stated that I was supposed to go to Seattle, where Kevin Reynolds lives. Um, that didn't happen either, and he, wasn't, he didn't feel like traveling to Toronto since he had been away for seven months. So we did it over the internet. <laughs> And he was great. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, 76 days of shooting, six-day weeks, all in Romania and a bit of Transylvania? Yes. Uh, all doubling for Kentucky and uh, what's other state? Uh, West Virginia. West Virginia, right. Yes. Um, and at one point, it was you and your assistant, Michael England, who is actually here somewhere tonight as Michael, well. Michael, yes. Michael. And uh, you and, uh, and Gregor, the post supervisor, were technically at one point the only Canadians on board. Yes, and Michael and I were the only ones downstairs in the basement. <laughs> Across the street, <laughs> For weeks technically. and weeks and weeks. Um, so let's let's just take a step back and paint the first picture of like can you, uh, I mean without getting too technical, but your dailies were sent to you through Aspera, which is a downloadable file. Help me out here, Mike. <laughs> they well they they yeah they uploaded uh, a DNX thirty six file. Um, what kind of helped us, which I think kind of skewed it that I didn't have to go, is with the with the difference in uh, time, um, our, you know, their night is our morning. So at the end of the day, they would start uploading. We usually have it in the morning if there were no technical glitches. So it was, in some respects, I was getting dailies when, when I walked in the door. And just describe to us as the dailies were coming in, uh, uh, what, what sort of feeling were you having about it? You were isolated, you never met any of the producers, you've read the scripts, you know you've got some major motion picture stars, Bill Paxton, Tom Berenger, Ye Kevin Costner, you're starting to look at their performances, but the first five days of dailies, like what, what was going through your mind? Uh, that I gotta step up to the plate because uh, I, it, it was just it was it was amazing to work on because just every take was usable was perfect the the acting they were bang on every take and it, and it, it was sort of like I, I'd, I'd look at all the takes and go anyone would work you know 
Um, and the other thing is I, uh, I that I never did meet Kevin Reynolds. I didn't even interview interview with him. And I know I wasn't his first choice because they phoned me three weeks before they went to camera. So you kind of have an idea. I don't think I'm their first choice. Now, did you correspond with him during the course of the shoot? Uh, very rarely. He's been a little bit at the beginning. Um, I wanted to get his confidence, so I'd have Michael upload scenes at the end of a week. Um, and I called them the editor's assembly, but I'm telling you, they were tight. <laughs> Um, and so we started sending him cuts and by the end of the second week he just sent me an email and said it's looking exactly how I pictured it um, I'm really busy if you don't hear from me just keep doing what you're doing and I think we might have corresponded maybe three or four times just by email over the, the next five months when you when you were reading the script, did they give you a lot of revisions as they were shooting it, or did they basically shoot the mm, script that they wrote? No, that script they wrote was the script they shot, and that was um, when they were putting the deal together. They approached Mr. Costner. Uh, when he read the script, he was he said, "Yes, I'd love to do it, but that is a script I'm I'm going to be signing on for." So no revisions. Maybe and some tweaks, but basically nothing was taken out. So when you first read it, give us your impression of when you first read it. I mean, I think some people, well, there's a lot of people in the audience who know who you are, mm -hmm. and you love to ride horses, and you're a bit of a cowboy. Mm -hmm. So when you're reading this sort of Western, you know... I'm a, I'm a, a big history buff in that, that era of, of American history. Yeah, so were you pinching yourself, thinking, am I going to be able to work on this? I was thinking I'd be able to do some writing on my days off. <laughs> yeah. That's if you went to Romania. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, it was just uh, when I read the script, uh, they sent me the script. I had uh, about four days to say yes or no. Um, really? It, did it take you four days? <sighs> yeah, I asked some of my friends who talked me into it, and thank you all. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jean. <laughs> um, part, of, part of my problem was I was already on a show. And it would mean leaving the show, which I've never done before. Um, so I, I, I was really feeling guilty about that. But um, but I'm sure you feel okay about it now with the yes, I owe a lot of Emmy people. And Anne. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it was just like everything. Just it was my perfect storm. I, like I like to tell people, just everything fell into place. And uh, when I started getting the dailies, when I read the script, I said, "Wow, this is this is amazing." Um, Ted Mann was the writer. Yeah. Who, um, Ted Mann's been nominated, I think, a couple times, four or five times for writing. Yeah, he actually wrote the uh, one of my favorite uh, series, Deadwood. So when I when I saw his name on it, and and actually, the script kind of kind of feels like that. He's his, his characters are it's gritty. It's it's not pretty. So uh, Leslie Greif was Greif. the producer. And uh, through a little bit of research, I found out that he had been sitting on this property for a good 20 or 25 years. I think he likes to say 25, but I think more like 20, yeah. Um, Do you want to tell, you told me the story a couple of days ago of how that came <laughs> to him, which I think is quite ironic because there's some really funny offshoot stories about actors who are in the movie yes. who are related in, by blood to McCoys who actually were playing Hatfields. Yes, um, the the character and I wish I could remember his name. Who plays Cap Hatfield? He's got the white out eye. He's actually 
a McCoy, and he plays uh, Hatfield, which is kind of ironic. Um, but the, the original story was, was actually brought to Leslie by one of the producers, Daryl Fetty, um, who back in the 70s, 80s was an actor. He likes, to, he likes to say he was the biggest B actor in Hollywood. He, if you look him up, he's been in everything, Love Boat, what, you, you name it, right? And he was, at the time, he's al he was born in West Virginia, and he's always been interested in, the, in the, that part of the history, and he was married to a Hatfield. So he started right, you know, putting all the facts together and sort of getting everything together. And Leslie, who grew up in Beverly Hills, was a big fan of Daryl's and somehow got to know him, and Daryl liked the kid. So they started hanging out, and then Leslie started uh, producing, actually, reality TV. That's, that's where he made most of his coin. And uh, I guess they were out having dinner or lunch, and Daryl said, I want you to read this. And when, when Leslie read it, he says, I, gotta have the, I have to have this made. And it took him about 20 years. Do you, do you think he ever imagined having Bill Paxton and Tom Berenger and Bill, or and uh, Kevin Costner? Actually, the their their idea was it was going to be a, a, a feature, mm. and I do believe it might have been Brad Pitt. They were looking at they, so when they when they couldn't uh, sell it as a feature, then then um, which have meant really trying to get the story down. They they said let's tell the whole story. Let's see if we can do it as a as a miniseries. So, well, let's get back to the nitty gritty of cutting. And now I'm going to ask the question. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> What's my motivation? What's your motivation when you sit down to cut a scene? Yes. Uh, what is your process? How do you approach it? Uh, I well look at all the, all the f all the dailies, and I like to get a feel for all the actors. Just see how they play it. And, and usually that's, that's how I, my first cut, that's how I approach it. I don't try to force my, you know, the way I think it should be. I'll just go with what the actors give you. Um, and you, with this cast, it was bang on, so. Now, do you, uh, do you feel that you, you can draw upon all the other things that you've cut over the 26 years that you've been doing this to gain the, or t take that experience and apply it to what you're cutting, even if it is, like you say, the, 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 the gold of, of performances? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, when I first sat down, I started looking at the dailies, I, I was, it was like I had this feeling like I'd never cut before. I didn't know what I was gonna do. It was just, it was overwhelming. Um, but, you know, then, then you do go back and say, I've done this before, you know, so. <laughs> I can do this. I think I remember how to do this. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so you've got that process, you've assembled the scenes, and you're starting to see the evolution of a miniseries. And I, I'm assuming over the 76 days of shooting, you were getting stuff from each block and each, or each night. So you, you never really were seeing a whole evolution of an episode, um, of, a, of a night. No, um, actually I, I didn't even, we, Mike and I didn't really even get to get an idea of how it was playing out until I, I think it was towards the last three weeks of shooting. Um, mainly because what they did is they did all the location up front and they spent the last six weeks in studio. So uh, there'll be some scenes in here where it's interior and exterior and they were shot like four months apart, which I have to tip my hat to uh, Mr. Reynolds because it was seamless. 
Did they, uh, was there anything that was ever reshot or things that they, that you asked them to go back and shoot more for? No. Uh, shoot more things for? No, there was none of that from my end. Um, I know that they would, they would reshoot. I, I guess Kevin or somebody would make the decision that we needed something else or uh, let's reshoot this. But it, very rarely it is the, the man was a machine. He had this thing planned out. It was amazing. You uh, you had the pleasure, and the reason I say pleasure is because a, a lot of television editors don't necessarily get the opportunity to follow their productions right to the end with the mix. You had the pleasure of following this right to the the <laughs> end of mix. Now, this is a two-part question, which is when you were adding temp sound effects and temp music and, and all that stuff, mm-hmm. when you were sitting in the final mix, you're seeing the new score and the... And the and the great work that the boys at Urban did, you know, is it is, was it a learning experience? Did you did you find it like you approach putting temp music in and temp sound effects in differently than compared to what comes in in the final product? Uh, no, because I didn't know I was going to be that involved in the mix. Um, as I said, Kevin didn't come to Toronto um, for reasons I won't go into. Uh, at the end of our time together. I said, so I guess I'll see you at the mix. And he said, no, you won't, because I'm not coming. And he said, uh, I really hate to do this to you, but you're going to have to take it through the mix for me. So it was me. To begin with, I felt it was just me, but then our great sound team, Chris and, and Brad. and Should I also point out that Chris Cook and Brad yes. Zorin also won an Emmy for sound mixing. Sound mixing. Uh, Happy we was robbed in the sound editing, but I, I won't go into that. <laughs> no, don't go into that. Um, um, so it, it actually, I was involved right from the beginning, right through the pre-mix, um, and boy, did I learn a lot. Uh, did you ever get to a point in the mix where you go, gee, I wish I could go back and change the picture? Wish I could add more frames to that? You know, only, only to help the sound. Uh, there are some instances where it, it, it caused some, you know... Uh, I don't know if anybody else thinks about it, but it does work visually, but if you could just tweak it a little bit, it would just help the sound guys like so much more. Um, it, there, were, there were parts where I wish I could go back and just kind of tweak that because it would, it, would, it would just make it much more stronger. But no, overall, I, I was pretty happy with what we did. So that was Don Cassidy talking about the Hatfields and McCoys with Paul Day, who was interviewing him. Now, again, if you're enjoying this, make sure to download our mobile apps, rate us on the iTunes store or for the mobile apps, rate us. Also, make sure to check out that post show. I'd like to thank Paul Day for allowing me to use this clip, as well as Don Casty for the talk. That was amazing. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.